Hi, I'm Heather Yang. I'm a podcaster, entrepreneur, consultant, and a parent at the primary day school in the suburb of Washington, D.C. In this podcast, you will hear the insight about primary day school from the head of school, teachers, students, and parents to discuss PDS value, belief, diversity, and inclusion, not just academic, but also our life. Welcome to the Beacon Voices, a podcast for primary day school. Today, we are happy to have the Director of Teaching and Learning, Sai Mai. Hi, everybody. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, hi. Uh, so I understand that you have been with the primary day school for five months, that maybe you have not met everybody yet. Could you please let us know more about your background? <laughs> well, I... Um was a kindergarten teacher for the past eight years at the Langley School, just right across the bridge here um, in Virginia. I started there as an assistant, um, and then my lead teacher went on maternity leave, and I did a pretty okay job, I guess, and I got her position, and she moved on to second grade, and I kind of took over her section. And 90% of my professional career actually took place there, and I'm so grateful for all the opportunities and knowledge that I developed while I was there. I also went to grad school while I was teaching there um, part-time. Fast forward to now, last winter, um, early into the new year, I was looking for a new job and a new challenge. Mm -hmm. I thought um, that my homeroom duties were kind of on borrowed time and I was ready to jump into an administrative role. And I was, as I was reading the job description to come here and be um, the brand new director of teaching and learning, I was, as I was reading the description, I was like, wow, that's a big deal, but I think I can do it. I know I can do it. Not only was my commute going to be a fourth of of what it was for eight years, I'd be turning in my homeroom duties for more of an administrative role, like I was saying earlier. And the responsibilities that came to that were both new and old to me. Mm -hmm. When I taught at Langley, I was also on the admissions and hiring committee, as well as a member of the DEI task force and a member of their math department. And we actually adopted Math and Focus, which we also have here, and I was a part of that crucial work for about 18 months. We piloted a bunch of different curricula, and once I got a taste of that, I wanted to more intentionally and explicitly do the work of diving into curriculum and administrative tasks rather than just dabbling here and there. Um, I also have a master's in curriculum and instruction with a focus in special education, I've traveled to other countries to implement best practices and assessment techniques, which I'm very passionate about global education. And I'm very excited to be here now to do this work here um, in the backyard of where I was raised. And I am just grateful for the opportunity under the leadership um, and advisor of our head of school, Neil Mufson. Yeah, that's very cool. So you are from here. You are local. I am local. Yep. I went to Churchill. Go Bulldogs. Oh, okay. I see it. Uh, for those of you, if you don't know, Churchill is just, you know, next door uh, to where we were speaking right now. Uh, you just mentioned an interesting point that you, really, you are really into global education. So what's your background, like in the global education or any, you know, uh, cultural background you'd like to share with us? Absolutely. So I am Persian-American. Both of my parents are full Persian, straight from Shiraz, Iran, which is in the south of the country. And during my graduate school program, our cohort was very lucky to travel to Panama and South Africa, where we taught for long stretches and we implemented student portfolios 
to practice best practices and refine their assessment techniques while creating student portfolios for some of the schools I was at. They were both private and public. Um, a lot of alignment and a lot of differences as well with the American education system, which was very fascinating to be a part of. And those experiences I will kind of carry with me for the rest of my life. And I hope to do more of that work, even though now I'm in this role, I would like to still do that around the world whenever I have time. Yeah, so um, because you, uh, um, you're helping with the American education system and uh, you are trained by the American education system. So when you travel abroad, what are the two things you would like to bring back? That's a great question. So I like to implement one thing and take something away yes. from my experience as well. So the global perspectives, I think, really shape who you are, not only as an educator, but who you are in your social values and competencies and morals and how that can shape your traits and eventually transition into how that would look like in your professional world as well. So being open and receptive and flexible, those are kind of some social competencies that I like to travel with and maintain and continue to bring back. Um, while I was there at both of the schools in those two countries that I mentioned, South Africa and Panama, my um, I was heavily focused on the special education side of things since that is what my focus is in. And um, they don't have things similar to IEPs or 504 plans like we do here in mm -hmm. the county schools, at least not in the schools I, I was visiting. And it was amazing to be a part of assessing kids who have emotional needs and learning difficulties um, and we kind of started to track the trend of their behavior or needs and created portfolios with them and followed up with the teachers as well during my graduate school program mm -hmm. to help streamline the process throughout the schools. Mm -hmm. So uh, do you still remember uh, a very, how to say, uh, impressive moment that you see something there and then it's just give you an idea that I wish we had it in the United States here. Because we all know United States has, you know, the most advanced everything in the world. But I'm sure there are certain things we forget. Um, you know, when we came along this long world, a lot of, you know, maybe, I don't know, some good tradition or some, you know, cultural appreciation. I bet there are certain things lost when you visit those, how to say, less developed areas. Yeah, something I noticed in both schools mm -hmm. that I was at, they had a lot of parent events. Parents were always coming in. They were either in the classrooms and it's very similar to, to schools I would say here in America, but it was more intentional behind if a kid is struggling, the parent would come in into the classroom and coach their kid through it parallel with the teacher rather oh, than having yeah. it be so isolated here. Yes, that's um, it was very interesting to see how the parents would handle it and how they would coach the teacher or meet with the teacher and say, you know, this is what I noticed in the classroom. This is what I also do at home that I tried here, whether it was through actions or language. And I thought that was truly valuable, that the partnership is a very organic flow of things rather than um, I'll catch you up on email or by the phone. They don't have that, right? Yes, yes. So it's a lot of FaceTime and come in and, and writing letters and... Um, kind of the more traditional way of things prior to modern technology. So do you think in their country it's more involved for the parents to be you know, involved in the school activities and their kids' academic or social emotional study? I think the schools that I was, that I was at, um, they were 
underdeveloped okay. and they were serving a certain population that really needed parent education to be a consistent focal point mm-hmm. for their systems and from the teachers just hosting a back to school night or having a parent teacher conference didn't suffice um, the void that needed to be filled um, it just wasn't sufficient um, enough so parents were always wanting to come in also keeping in perspective that there weren't a lot of full-time employees working at these schools because they were third world countries because of the economy and lack of job opportunities you know um so a lot of a lot of parents were able to come in and be a part of their child's everyday day-to-day school journey and and it was incredible to see very different from here yeah um from what you describe, I it just reminds me of like a very special population in my home country, China. That you know, China is a developing country, but progressed pretty fast recently. There are certain people they just being the laborers, like they went to the big city, you know, take on the labor job, and so that caused a lot of issue because they need to leave the kids and the senior behind at their hometown. So a lot of kids, you know. As time progresses, they have more emotional issues and also have academic difficulties because they have no clue or have no approach to access to their parents. They are raised by their grandparents or even neighbors. So later on, I guess there are some people doing something to bring those kids to the city where their parents work and take those you know labor jobs so they can be together, but also at the same time give them like a special funding or resources. So at least they can be together as a family, and also um, to help them to ease this transition because it will be very hard, and uh, you may not see the issue now, but it will be an issue in ten years or twenty years. Absolutely, and I think a lot of these places that I visited, you don't know what you don't know, right? Yes. So if you haven't left your country yes. or you haven't been in other school systems, you're not really sure what to look for, what the expectations are, what the developmental characteristics or milestones are appropriate yes. for kids of what age, um, or what to anticipate next if you're a first-time parent or a young mm-hmm. parent. Yes. Um, so it was it was incredible, a truly invaluable experience, and I'm so grateful that I was able to travel the world and gain so much more than what they just teach you in grad school. Yes. You know, having yeah. those perspectives and living through it. I mean, I was in South Africa, mm-hmm. and we were trying to take photos with these kids, doing, doing selfies with them mm-hmm. while we were riding through Cape Town, and yeah. it was an incredible experience. They would look at themselves while we're taking a selfie like is that me (laughs) or is that me in the picture you know what's going on we donated books and markers and pencils and paper and they'd never seen anything outside of chalk or you know a chalkboard before okay wow so it's really eye-opening that not only are the resources limited Mm -hmm. and not sustainable for them to continually have new books and book fairs and and wish lists and you know those sort of things don't exist yeah, that's cool. um, unless they're funded by by elsewhere, um, but it it was really it was really incredible. And even now to this day, whenever I leave my office, I turn the lights off. I, I wash my hands very briefly. I take yes. brief showers. You know, I try to really minimize my environmental footprint on the world because of what I've seen in um, what I've seen in little kids, which kind of strikes me um, the most. Yes, I agree. Uh, because all the kids here, uh, let's admit it, we live in one of the most 
richest counties in the whole United States, mm-hmm. which happened to be one of the most richest countries in the world, that a lot of kids, if you don't say it, if you don't tell that story, they would never imagine it, because that's not the lifestyle we are having right now. Uh, they are so getting used to like the streamings, to all the gaming devices. They ask for it, their parents get it the next day, <laughs> and everything can deliver, and uh, we all have more than enough resources at our home, or at the school, or at our community. So it's a very hard um, for them to understand we live on the same earth and uh, in the same world, but there are other kids living a very different life, and it's crucial for them to realize it. Absolutely, and it's really one of those things that movies, YouTube clips, mm-hmm. even talking about it doesn't do it justice. Exactly. Really being there, taking yeah. that 18-hour flight, yeah, getting off of the plane, and looking around and realizing, wow, this is a whole other world over here, but it's equally beautiful. Mm-hmm. And um, the nature of the country is truly unmatched in over there in South Africa. Um, but there are a lot of sad parts too, right? Yes. But um, that we could say that about anywhere that we visit, you know, within the states and beyond the states. But again, it was it was truly eye opening as a teacher, as a human being, yes. as a young woman, as someone who was in a graduate school journey, always complaining about this is so expensive. Exactly. This better pay off someday, yeah. you know. <laughs> and I hope to have that impact on the yeah. kids here at Primary Day. Yeah. I think that will be very um, beneficial because if we just talk to our kids and saying, hey, could you donate your toy to some other boy? He's like, why? My classmates A and B already has it and they have maybe more. Why would I donate, right? But if they know that there are certain boys or girls that in the world they never ever had any toy of their own, that's a totally different story. That will change their perspective overall. Yeah. It's a culture of more, 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 yes. more, 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 right? But yes. when again, like when you don't know any better, when you've never had it, yes, you don't have the concept of overnight shipping, yes, one day delivery, you know, DoorDash and Uber Eats and you know all of these places. That's instant gratification. Yeah, you know. Um, so something I, I just want to encourage anyone who's listening to this is that it's okay to let let yourself or your kids be bored. Yes. Boredom helps with our confidence, leadership, creativity, imagination. We live in a world where the hustle and bustle and the grind of every day can really consume us both emotionally, physically, your mental capacity, you know, and I really think... And energetically. Absolutely. <laughs> I said, I'm not even a parent and I, and, I, and I know that and agree with you. And I just think that when we are bored, it helps us value our experiences even more. And our distinctive worldview and perspectives actually just shift. Mm -hmm. And it's a way, now that I'm an adult, I used to say, my mom used to say, time goes by so fast. Time goes by so fast. I don't want you to grow up. And I would say, no, I can't wait to drive. I can't wait to, you know, go out and make my own decisions and live in my own place and all of these things. And I got to give it to her. She was right. The time truly flies. So being bored and allowing yourself that aspect of boredom, I think, is a way of self-care and self-love to truly live in the moment. Don't plan so many things ahead of you. Just kind of live day by day and enjoy what we have when we have it. Yeah, I really like this idea, and I really want to share this clip to thousands of parents who just want to throw their kids to iPad and uh, the gaming system. Uh, like my husband, he's like, let's get them a cell phone. I said... 
both you and me, we live without cell phone for 18 years in our life, and we are okay, right? But right now, it's just so hard to imagine. What if you don't have a cell phone? How can I contact you? And what if, you know, we lost connection with each other? It's just that people always want more and more in their life, but they forget. We came from nowhere, and when we were born, we have nothing, and it's okay. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I see some kids now. I, I love the reading apps and things like that. But to this day, there's nothing like, in my opinion, there's nothing like holding a book, turning the pages, feeling the spine of the book and the cover and absolutely delving into rich literature, but in the means of a traditional book, not yes. buying it on your Kindle or on your iPad or, you know, whatever it is. I know there are people that are uh, have different perspectives on that. But I believe when it comes to reading or even doing math, there's nothing like having an actual workbook, which is what our students have right now. We're not telling them to get on an app and fill out assessments and do things that way so we can track their progress. It actually is enhancing and promoting directionality, handwriting, listening to directions, following multi-step directions, and being a part of a wider community. When you're in a piece of technology, it's all individualized. You're by yourself. You have to pave your own way and keep track of your own progress rather than opening up a book, teaming with other kids, thinking about it, looking at someone else's book, sharing responses. Um, so that's that's my philosophy on yeah. untraditional Books. Yeah, I'm totally with you. Right now, we have so many um, um, resources that for any book, you can find like a audio version, a video version, a gaming version, a movie mer- version, a TV episode version, but nothing compared to the original book because when you read that book, these are all the you know, characters, letters, words, phrases that you are building your own word. You are building up and crafting what is, you know, uh, Tom looks like, what does Anna looks like. That's something, it's kind of like you are like the director of a movie, you are picking your own actor and actress, and you are picking your own animal and set up how the palace look like to you. That's very unique. But after you see a movie, other people already do this part for you. The actor is already picked, the actress already picked, it either looks like Tom Cruise or looks like Hugh <laughs> Jackman, right? Then you need to accept it because that's the only movie or the only actor the other filmmaker has made you. So that's a totally different thing to be your own filmmaker and being fed uh, by the other food or other resources produced by other people and you are just, you know, passively accept it, nothing else. I think I think watching TV or the movie is like the lazy man's way out. Yes, exactly. Right? So yeah. I just had a conversation with my friend. One of these books that I recently read, I bought it, I read it, and I said, hey, you know, do you want to read this? And she said, why would I read that? It just came out on Netflix. <laughs> I'm like, because it's different. You exactly. know, when you read, you're opening a whole other world up to yourself. Sure, you can watch the movie after. That's yes. the school of thought that I'm coming from. Yeah. But not the reverse or not so closed off where I'm just going to watch the movie and I'm just going to let this, the 90 minutes go by and let that be that rather than dedicate hours at a time yes. to truly enjoying the reading experience, which also goes back to my point of people don't want to feel bored. Yes. When you're reading, you're more likely to feel bored mm-hmm. than watch a movie. But yes. that's only if you tell yourself that, right? To me, I, I don't necessarily feel 
that that's opposite, but I would just, my personal preference Mm -hmm. is to read the book and come up with the characters and envision maybe what they look like, what they sound like, what their hair might look like, you know, and and truly be the director of of the cast within the story. Exactly. That's more like, when you describe it, I feel like if you're doing your own reading, it's more like build up your palace uh, by your hand. So you can be the designer, you can be the uh, person who lay every stone out to decide what does it look like, what's the color you can pick, who will be the actor and actress living there, uh, instead of, you know, watching uh, Netflix and let it decided by someone else. <laughs> and then it's, it's even worse when they, when they have a season two coming up. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you have no control about that, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah I'm totally with you. Uh, so what are the things you are trying, you are trying to um, accomplish here? Um, you know, uh, after you have joined the primary day school? So something I'm really hoping to do over these next few years is to really refine and align our curriculum, starting with our youngest learners, truly making sure the spiral effect is in play. This will help ensure that some topics do overlap and those topics are for mastery by the time they graduate second grade. Mm -hmm. I also hope to provide our school with the latest best practices in instructional and assessment techniques as well as creating a system where we measure student achievement growth, assist our teachers with instructional planning, either by modeling or by professional development opportunities, and reteaching achievement of exposure and mastery principles. So when kids enter at pre-K, what are we looking for within their academic and social competencies? By the time our second graders leave us, what is the primary day portrait of a graduate what does that look and sound like and I think that will help align all the grades in the middle regardless of of the entry year so it's more like a roadmap absolutely okay absolutely and anticipating the closures or contract construction zones or you know whatever it may be but very being very intentional as we look at curriculum mapping what do we teach in pre-k that will be revisited in kindergarten that by the time they're in first grade we hope that they have really solidified this topic or skill or concept Mm -hmm. so by the time they're in second grade it's automatic it's independent they can reflect on it they can turn and teach someone younger to them exactly how they were taught very similar to the phonovisual method. That language that's so automatic that they are taught as a four-year-old is like muscle memory by the time they're eight in second grade. Yeah, um, so you just bring a good point and I have a question for you. So I know that every kid are different and uh, I bet there are certain kids, they are more, how to say, advanced in academic but maybe there are more kids, they are more advanced emotion, uh, emotionally, or there are more kids, they are just more sophisticated compared to the kids of their own age. So what do you think is the best way to handle that? And uh, how do you plan to resolve that by this roadmap? I know adults like that too, yes, exactly. the IQ versus EQ, yes, right? Yes. So your intellectual intelligence over your emotional intelligence or, mm-hmm. or vice versa. Yes. So a big goal we have here with Ryan Manalo, our director of DEI, is to look at how can we embed DEI practices within our social, emotional, disciplinary curriculum responsive classroom that we follow 
to guide us with academic and social competencies and how we can incorporate DEI also into our PDS values every month. Mm -hmm. So those are two topics in which Ryan and I are really diving into um, the second half of this year to try and roll out some sort of plan looking at next year, how we can still hold true to the school's traditional and foundational work and framework, but also continue to embed more social competencies within our PDS values um, and different areas of our curricula. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, so if there is a parents, because we know we live in a very diversified community, if there is a parent coming from the same or similar background as you, like if they're Persian, so what do you want to say to them? You can say it in Persian. <laughs> Why do they need to choose primary day? Um, I think primary day is truly magical. People used to tell me, wait until you see the first Biko and the yes. Biko magic powder. And I would say, there's no way. They're, they're going to they're gonna have kids up on stage at four and five years old, you know, with a musical performance and reciting poems and doing dances. But now that I have seen it for myself in person, there isn't anything like it. The way the community comes together to uplift and support one another and really celebrate these milestones every month through birthdays and PDS values, celebrating kindness and honesty and gratitude and patience and cooperation. And as you know, the, the list goes on. It's, it's a magical place to be in. And Having being in a smaller school really allows the friendships and relationships blossom a lot quicker than in a bigger system because it's very connected and everyone is here to help each other out. Um, and I'm very fortunate to be a part of this community as well. Yeah. So during your five months of tenure here, what is the moment that you know you like to share with everybody that it was a aha moment that I knew I made the right choice of being here, being part of PDS. I've had a few of those moments, so I, I, yeah, I, I've got to <laughs> think of some. So when I started in July, now I'm a 12-month employee, which is a huge shift from having my summers off, but I'm excited about it. I was very nervous to start. After my first two weeks, um, this school had shut down for the administrative summer break, uh, which is three weeks throughout the summer. And after the first two weeks, when the summer break was going to start for us, I said, wait, I actually miss being there. I actually miss the work. I was finally getting my feet under me. And they shut down for the next three weeks. And while I was on vacation, I was excited to come back to dive into the work um, I'm starting to have aha moments when I'm starting to figure out now that I do have the answers to things. I am more confident and comfortable now attending meetings or spe speaking out or sharing um, my personal experiences. And I love the families here and people are reaching out to set up meetings to just chit chat or check in. And I'm having the aha moment that this is the right place to be. And this position was absolutely the right choice that I made. Um, so how often are you inter, uh, interacting with the kids in each class? Like every week or every two weeks? Every week, yeah. Oh, okay. So three times a week, I um, work in math classes across the school to really help and support um, students of varying abilities. So what are the funniest questions you get from the students? <laughs> <laughs> huh. I have been asked why do I have pandas all over my office and I've explained that that is my favorite animal and oh. though I haven't 
seen one in a long time outside of the Smithsonian Zoo um, down in Woodley Park. My class at my former school, we went by mascot, so my class was called the Kindergarten Pandas. Oh! So naturally, the parents would get panda stuff, the kids would make me panda stuff. Mm -hmm. So those are some funny questions that I, I do receive. I also am asked sometimes, which I think is a teaching moment, why don't I go by Miss E? Because I did go by Miss E at my last school. Mm -hmm. And that was because it was easier to say. Yeah. But now, as I as I approach primary day, our head of school, Neil Mufson, said, go by Miss Ektasadi. These kids can do it. Yeah. These kids can do it, and, and it's good to teach them mm -hmm. a harder name because that right there implies diversity. Yes. Cultural awareness. And yes. we do have a lot of Persian families here also. Yes. Who the, who the name just rolls right off their tongue, Ektasadi. Yes. So it's been great. It's been, it's been great, and I, I think that was the right call for sure. Yeah, and also I think it's important to celebrate our own, how to say, original names because that carry a lot of meanings than we thought. Like for example, if we all you know call you I don't know Sophia or Missy whatsoever uh, American name, we have no clue what's this name behind it. What's uh, the, your parents' wish behind it? So a lot of things just uh, being missing by you know giving people a, like you know more than easy to remember or to write a name. So yeah, that's very crucial. Yes, my first name is Samar, actually, which oh, means it okay. means a good outcome in Farsi. See? But since I was in pre-K, people were calling me Sammy. Yes. And now that I'm obviously not in pre-K, I'm an adult, I introduce myself as Samar now. Oh, okay. And it's it's kind of interesting how the cycle just just has changed. But to your point, my parents named me that because it means a good outcome. And I want to hold true by my name, and it's unique, and now I'm finally, you know, embracing it, being in adulthood. Yes, that's very important, because we are in such a diversified community that uh, I never counted myself. But um, I think just from my personal knowledge, I think we are, the PDS family are coming from at least more than 20 countries, right? Yeah. So a lot of people have their own names or, you know, um, either the family name or the first name and this that's all carry something unique about that country and the culture back. Yes, I actually have a necklace. To go back to your question on one of the kids asked me that can be funny, I have a necklace that says Samar and obviously uh -huh. Farsi is right to left, same as oh, Arabic. Yeah. Yes. And a lot of the kids here will say, Is that your name in Hebrew? Uh -huh. Or they'll ask me, you know, what language is that? Can you yes. help me spell it? Yes. And it's a great teachable moment. Yes. Um, and I wear my name and my necklace with pride now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, see, it's more important to, uh, how to say, um, establish your own brand so people know who you are and where you are coming from and why you are carrying that with you. So everything has its unique pride, uh, unique uh, meanings. And that's the world we are living in, and that's the world we need to embrace. Absolutely. I, I would hear a lot of, Sammy, like Samantha? Yes, exactly. And I would say, no, but that's true. Some people do go by Sammy, 2M yes. or 1M, yes. that have the full name of Samantha. So um, it's just a great discussion to have. And um, yeah. Yes, and it's so funny, your favorite animal is a panda, which is, you know, an uh, animal just to China. Yes. So that's another interesting thing I observed with the primary day uh, community, uh, not only staff, but also family members. That, as I mentioned, we come from, I don't know, more than 20 countries or 30 countries, but there are so many parents, they are more interested in other cultures and the cultural beliefs than you can imagine. Uh, I know there is a family who's coming from Europe, but they are very into uh, the Northern Europe but they are very into like the Korean drama. Mm -hmm. And there are families, you know, they are uh, like um, Jewish, 
but they are very into some Asian culture. There are family that, you know, they're just uh, interested in some other culture or some other um, beliefs that not where they are originally from. That's a very interesting and unique um, community what we are having here in primary day school. You are not only just uh, who you are from your you know, race background or you know, where your family's um, birth country is, but we also have this you know, exposure or the interest to know more about what's happening in other parts of the world. Absolutely, and here, yes. here at primary day, they are obviously rich in traditions as we know, but they're equally rich in culture yes. as well. And I think that that teaches kids every day mm-hmm. it, within their own classrooms. And now that you know, we don't have to wear masks, yes. what each other really looks like, how they can really ask each other questions, who they can see themselves in, who can't they see themselves in, and why. Being able to talk about it and be open about it, mm-hmm. I think, is, is truly an invaluable experience. Yeah, that's so true. Um, so I guess another question I'm having is that uh, after you have been uh, working and observed different schools in either public or private school and uh, either you know domestic or internationally, what do you think make PDS unique? If it's a you know pers- perspective family, why do they need to choose PDS in- instead of other great schools in this neighborhood? I think the fact that we really focus on these early years is a game changer. Having experts under these under this roof within these four walls that are truly passionate and dedicated to kids from ages four to eight years old. Um, and those are the grades they want to teach and the only grades they want to teach from my understanding. And it's really amazing to see their drive and dedication to these families year after year. And the fact that we are the only school in the area that caters to pre-K, K, first and second grade makes us stand apart from anyone else from the neighboring zip codes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and another thing I observe is that it still has a small community feeling that we all know each other by name. Absolutely, we we're not just a number. <laughs> yes, it's not just a number here. Although although private school can be seen as a business, it's a close knit family. It's a school family, um, and all the classmates know each other. They're all friends in some sort of fashion, and um, it's a, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing, and the fact that there are only two sections in each grade level really allows for play dates and, and activities and enrichment classes and everyone just to really get to know each other and establish, um, hopefully, lifelong friendships for many years to come. Yes, and another interesting fact, because we have so many siblings over the years, Yes, that is so funny how uh, deeply involved each other, um, you know, know each other. Like there's one time we had a play date for my son, and uh, that boy's sis- big sister, who already graduated from PDS, you know, two or three years ago, also came. And my daughter told me, "Mom, I know that girl. She's also go. To- she also go to PDS, and but she graduated two years ago." And I'm so shocked that you know this kind of thing just. Uh, um, very unique, and uh, people still remember them. Not just you know my daughter who is you know a student here, but also the teacher. That there are so many teachers. They teach not just uh, the old brothers and sisters, but also their little brothers and sisters and some um, 
teacher have been here long enough even teach the students kids absolutely yeah. the, the the sense of loyalty yes from the families to the alumni to everyone who works here to the kids it's they, they feel very territorial of this place like this place is theirs they grew up here or they know someone who went here before they did or the be the magic of Biko you know these are things that just is tried and true time and time again that it's affecting lives of young kids starting at when they visit when they're three years old yeah you know and it's incredible to be a part of and to see and finally to see it all unfold within my first year here is what I really look forward to. Yes, uh, you just mentioned that the whole time flies. I remember mm-hmm. right in last Biko, there is a tiny, very cute girl. She's like, you know, after my birthday, I want to listen more to my mom. And everybody laughs. And then I realized that's the exactly girl who the first time I met her um, to have a play date with, you know, her big brother, she was a baby. She's still crawling on the floor while, you know, the big kids are jumping into the pool. And right now, she's another pre-K standing on the stage. I'm like, gosh, time really flies. It's I crazy. I imagine it's her, the very baby. It's crazy. <laughs> yes. It's crazy. And this yes. time next year, she'll be in kindergarten, halfway yes. through her, her career here, which is crazy to think about. Yes, that's so true. And uh, I talk to a lot of um, students and uh, teachers here, and uh, it's so funny. We all have the same feeling that... Although it's just uh, four years old to eight years old, but it's hard to imagine and describe how much they have progressed over the years. When they are in pre-K, they still have the baby feeling with uh, cute, you know, cheeks. And uh, some somebody when they walk, they still, you know, act like a penguin, which is very cute, <laughs> right? But when they are in second grade, this it just look like teenagers. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. They are like, so big and huge and so tall and. Uh, brave and uh, independent and can do everything on their own i'm like just four years <laughs> it's crazy yeah it's crazy i heard yeah. someone say at the last vico how could my kid go from being a tiny little thing at yeah. four during these vicos and now they're senior citizens of the school and getting ready to look at schools for next year and, yes. and see i'm sure you're you're experiencing that feeling that it's it's crazy to see the kids in different stages and ages and how it evolves so quickly that's why it's so valuable to have them in a structure like here where they are known they feel seen and heard and valued and loved and safe mm-hmm. every single day during those four years yes uh, i noticed that there are so many kids um have progressed a lot there are certain kids i know that who doesn't speak English on the first day of pre-K, but right now, you know, it's just a native speaker. You cannot tell that that kid does not speak any English on the first day of school. And also, there are certain kids, they were so shy in the beginning, like my daughter was one of them, but, you know, you can tell her progress is very different year by year. So a lot of kids get their character shaped and realize who they are and get their voice heard by others i think that's very crucial and that's why you call this four to eight years the most crucial year absolutely and the individualized attention that's provided for them Mm -hmm. in such an intentional purposeful way how was your weekend what did you do show me what you did yes you know, have mommy send me a picture, or write yeah. me a letter, or you know, whatever it may be. But to constantly have those touch points and feedback and banter regarding the personal lives. Yes, and when I talked with Miss Muffson, it was a very casual chat. I'm like, how's Charlotte? And he just tell me immediately. 
he doesn't need to go to his PC or let me grab my note or let me call certain teacher, blah, blah. He doesn't need to do anything. He just needs to talk immediately because everything is already in his heart and in his mind. And another thing, every PS teacher have that you know superpower here that they didn't they didn't need to go back to their notes or call another teacher before they give you the feedback because it's just happening every day. And for me as a parent, I think that's crucial for me. Absolutely, yes. because when you're passionate. Mm-hmm. And you you love what you do. You can't see. You can't picture yourself doing anything else. Yes. You just want to dedicate your life's work to helping kids, to molding them, to shaping them. Mm-hmm. That shows through and through. I yeah. mean, from the hugs to the mask wearing days to the online learning, how, the virtual platforms. I mean, as crazy as all of that was, mm-hmm. we all did it for the betterment of the future, for the kids of the future. And luckily now we can all be here in person and give them that love and nurturing feeling every day physically. And I think that was such a big piece missed by by not only kids, but but the teachers too. Yes, yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing so much of your personal input with us. Yeah. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. And and I'm excited for the future here. Yeah, sure. And uh, are there any special words before we wrap up? Anything you want to share with the current students or future families here? I just want to wish everyone a happy holiday season. And hopefully we will see you guys in the new year. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, now I get your name right, Samai, right? <laughs> yes, thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you so much for our time. Thank you too. Yeah.